Thank you all so much for your time and getting that ready for us. We're going to be over in the book of Mark in a couple of different places. We have um, been on a series. We're going to take a break from here today just to get us ready for some of the things coming up in this, in the meetings that are coming up. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We got Annie Durant. She's coming on out here. Uh, Kevin will not be with her. Just Annie. And she's going to be coming on out. Uh, most of the time they go out anymore. Anyway, um, Kevin says he's not ministering, but he had to be someplace else. So he, um, he just kind of comes in and sets things up for her. So she's going to come on in. And some of the stories he told me about the anointing that is on her life right now has far exceeded what it was when she was here years before. And we look forward to that. But we want to get you all ready to draw off of that anointing and to do the things that are, are necessary in, to make preparations for it. I want to read a story to you. It's about one of the great preachers of our time. Not someone I'm as familiar with. Maybe you're not, but apparently he has done some very excellent things. Dr. Fred Craddock. He tells a story about vacationing with his wife one summer in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He says, one night they found a little restaurant where they looked forward to a private meal. While they were waiting for their food, they noticed a distinguished-looking white-haired man moving from table to table, visiting with the guests. Craddock leaned over and whispered to his wife. He says, I hope he doesn't come over here. He didn't want anyone intruding on their privacy. But sure enough, the man did come over to the table. Where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. He said, Craddock answered, Oklahoma. Splendid state, I hear, although I've never been there, the stranger said. What do you do for a living? I teach homiletics at the Graduate Seminary of Phillips University, Cradox replied. Oh, so you teach preachers how to preach. Well, I've got a story to tell you. And with that, the gentleman pulled up a chair and sat down at the table with Cradock and his wife. Dr. Cradock said he groaned inwardly and thought to himself, oh no, here comes another preacher story. It seems like everybody has at least one. The man's the man stuck out his hand and said, I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not far from here, from here across the mountains. My mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had pretty, a pretty hard time. When I, started, when I started school, my classmates had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I used to go off by myself at recess and lunchtime because the things they said to me cut so deep. What was worse was going to town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like every eye was burning a hole through me, wondering just who my father was. When I was about 12 years old, a new preacher came to our church. I would always go in late and slip out early. But one day the preacher said the benediction so fast, I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in the church on me. Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I felt this big weight coming down on me. It was like, like a big, dark cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But he, as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile with a smile of recognition. Wait a minute. I know who you are. I see the family resemblance now. You are a child of God. With that, he slapped me across the rump and said, Boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table <clears throat> at Fred Craddock, and he said, Those were the most important words anyone ever said to me, and I've never forgotten them. With that, he smiled, shook hands with Craddock and his wife, and he moved on to another table to greet old friends. As he walked away, Cradock, a native of Tennessee himself, remembered from his studies of Tennessee history that on two occasions the people of Tennessee had elected to the office of governor men who had been born out of wedlock. One of them was a man named Ben Hooper. The expectations we have in life and the expectations the people around us put upon us change our direction. The expectations that we have with what our Father God will do, with what our Father God has called us to, 
with what our Father God is taking, where our Father God is taking us, change how we see our life going. It changes how we receive from God. It changes everything about us. And if something can get in and change that expectation, alter it just a little bit, and set us on a new course, we can go in a direction completely different, more fulfilling, and more in line with what God called us to do. I love this story because it talks about how one man who seemed to have a destiny of becoming nothing and everyone around putting him down to becoming someone very different. We go through this today. I'm not going to teach you really anything new. These are all things that you've had before. But we've got to get them into the forefront of our mind. Because when you come into a set of meetings like these that we have going on, these kind of meetings can change your life. It can also do nothing. It just depends on you. It depends on your, on your mindset. It depends on what you bring into these kind of meetings. A lot of times we see a preacher get up and we kind of say, well, prove yourself to me. But the Word of God says that God gave gifts to men. When one of those gifts comes to town, folks, we need to get ready. We need to get ready to draw off that gift. We bring folks like this to town because, you know, we, we teach you all the Word. Your faith is being built up. But you don't have to show, any, uh, show of hands. I pretty much know who's, who's going through. Some of you are still going through some physical things. Some things that uh, bother you on a daily, weekly basis. And you're not free of them yet. And I desire, as anyone else would desire, that you get free of those things. That you shake them free. That these physical limitations don't hold you back. No matter if they are a nuisance one, a life-threatening one, or something in between. You don't need these things holding you back. Sometimes you bring in a gift of God or a gift of God comes to town. And when we operate through a gifting, what is done is just easier. I know where my giftings are. I know where my giftings are not. I try and operate inside the giftings that I have and let other people operate within the giftings that they have. So we bring in other other guests and other, other speakers some of the stories that I've heard. Did anybody go up on uh, Kevin and Ann Durant's site and take a look at around their website? Did anyone look at some of the, at the video I put up on Facebook? These are things we put out there just to help build your faith on, on these things. One of the stories that um, Kevin told me recently is that there was a person in the church who was born blind. Born blind. Didn't become blind. They were born blind. Left the church seeing. That's pretty drastic. If you go up on their their website, I gave you uh, some of the story there today. You can read more of it on the on the website. A man who had a stroke had to be brought up, helped by his wife, to get to the front of the church. Could not make it there on his own. And through the course of being prayed for, all of a sudden something changed in in him, and he could see what he couldn't see before. He got so excited, he got up, dancing, and ran around the church. Or is there some neat stories? Brother Kevin was telling me, he said, the anointing has gotten so strong on, on Annie that they don't tell people, come on out, because healings can occur. They tell people, come on out, healings will occur. People will get healed. And he says, we're not trying to be arrogant or anything like that. We just know that this is what God is doing. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, a very familiar story, one of my favorite and uh, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know about you, but I am always, it seems, in the Gospels. I sometimes study other parts. I love studying the epistles. I love t- studying Paul's writings. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy that. I love even end times things. I love the Old Testament. I love the stories that are there. But I constantly find myself coming back to the Gospels. Even if I'm not sitting down and reading them, I've gone over them so many times, I can just kind of read it in my head. And one of my favorite things to look at are the miracles of Jesus. I go over these. You think I've gone over this story? Well, we've gone over this story probably two times already this year. 
We'll probably go over another time or two before the year's over. Of all the stories, this is one of my favorites. But I'm constantly going over the stories in my mind because God is always going to show me something more about these things. These stories are not just great stories to hear. These stories teach you something about the power of God. This lady had built up expectation. And I put in your outline, expectation without anticipation is just talk. And I went to the dictionary, and I looked up both of these words. I just didn't have room to put it in your, your outline. Anticipation is the realization in advance, foretaste, intuition, or foreknowledge. A realization in advance. That's anticipation. Expectation is the degree of probability that something will occur. A prospect of future good or profit. A thing looked forward to. That we can have expectation. I can expect this thing to happen. But anticipation is that thing that continually renews it and renews it and renews it. You all know we just had a trip down to Florida. And of course we, we went there and the focus of the trip is two and a half years old. That was the focus of the trip. It was the focus for mom and dad. It was focused for grandmom and grandpa. She was the focus. We watched everything through her eyes. We, we knew something was coming up that was going to be exciting. We watched her. We went on rides that she wanted to go on. We went to places that she wanted to go because it was so much fun just to, just to do that. But one of the things that um, her mom and dad did with, with her getting ready is they built up in her. She was expecting to go to Florida. If you ask her, where are you going to go? I'm going to go to, I'm going to, go to Disney, whatever, Disney World, I think she called it. But we're going to Florida. We're going to see the animals. We're going to see the, she would go over all the things. But they would continually go over with her what they were going to see. They would show her pictures. They would have her talk about it. She would talk about it to her friends. And when you continually talk about it and continue, what does that build up on the inside? Anticipation. You are anticipating that thing coming. You are getting excited because that thing is coming. I expect it. But if I just expect something without the anticipation, all you're really doing is talking. Anticipation is what gets you excited. Anticipation is what makes you feel like you can reach out and, and touch it. It's coming. And a lot of Christians, we expect that God will move. I just don't anticipate anything. I'm not really looking forward to it happening. I expect, you know, eventually sometime it's going to get here. But anticipation is that thing that says it's coming soon. It's kind of like, you know, back in the old days when you ordered something, it just arrived when it arrived. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now you have a tracking number. And the different companies, you know, Amazon, places like that, they will text you. As the thing ships, as the thing has an anticipated date, as um, things change along that way, you can check the tracking number. I don't know if any of you have this, but you can get an app on your phone if you are one who gets a lot of shipping done. You can put an app on your phone that will watch over all of your shipments from every single one and let give you a notice whenever anything changes on it and tell you when it's going to be delivered today. Well, that builds anticipation, doesn't it? Every time you see that phone, it gives you a notice. This thing's coming. It's going to be here tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be here tomorrow. And you know which carrier it comes. How many of y'all know when your carrier comes? When's the mail arrive at your house? You pretty much know what time it, 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 it arrives. It gets you know, in between this area. This is your, if you're home to see your mail carrier come, if you just come home from work and there it is, well, you probably have no idea. Expectation without anticipation is just talk. And a lot of Christians are just doing a lot of talking. Here's what they say. Meeting's coming up. Gift of God is coming in. Person's going to come in, lay hands. He said, well, I'll go out there and we'll just see what happens. Right? <laughs> I'm going out. Well, I showed up at the meeting. I'm expecting that something's going to happen, but I'm not anticipating anything. But some Christians will do that. Well, I'll go up front, have them lay hands on me. Something might happen. But you see, we'll have this, this idea about, about doing things, but nothing changes for us. 
And we may have one on our left side get healed and one on our right side get healed, but it does not come nigh us. <laughs> why, why is that? Some people, you know, they'll, they'll look at this and they'll say, I've been a Christian longer than that one. I've served in more ministries longer than that. How did they get healed and I didn't get healed? We've got to expect, we've got to anticipate. Take a look at this, at this story. How is it that I did not put that in my... I know I copied it over. I'm going to have to read it from the screen. Now, there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood. For how long? Twelve years. years. How many of all say that's a long time? (laughs) That is a long time. Twelve years. That'll take a toll on your body. Go on to the next verse. And had suffered many things from many physicians. Many things from many. She didn't just go to one or two physicians. She went to many and suffered many things. Didn't just go to them and go through a treatment. She suffered. How many of you like to go to the doctor for pain and, and receive pain in the doctor's office? Not too, not too many of you. You know, go to the dentist. I hate dental pain. I, I, I detest dental pain. Just the sound of that drill is enough to send me out of the room. I do not like dental pain. I do not like people touching my teeth with that little prick thing. I, I don't like it. I don't like how my mouth feels afterwards. There is nothing about dental procedures that I like. I heard someone say that uh, dentists are the loneliest doctors there are. Because nobody wants to associate with them. <laughs> Loneliest doctors that there are. But you know, the, but I can take other pain. And so I know what this one is, is talking about. You know, if you go to a chiropractor, and chiro- chiropractors, how many have been to a chiropractor? They are skilled at inflicting pain. <laughs> are they not? I mean, you, I've gone to a chiropractor and I thought I was doing okay. And oh, I was not doing okay. I was definitely suffering some, some things. I, I was out there this, uh, this past week at, at, at one, and they were working on, on something. And, um, you know, my, uh, my, one, my one leg's been getting a whole lot of attention. I've been working things, getting muscles worked out, and it's been going good. And all of a sudden, she switched over to the other one. And she started working on some stuff on that. Oh, man, did it hurt. I said, I didn't even know that one was hurting. Mm. And she says, she said to me, says, yeah, you, the other one's getting all the attention. But, you know, they can, they can just, they, they find pain and they, they push on stuff and it hurts. How many of you like that? Now, as much as I hate dental pain, for whatever reason it is, I love that kind of pain. And when they sit there and they push on my face, is grimacing, I'm, oh. <laughs> do it some more. Because <laughs> I know that pain is going to help me out in the long run. And I know dental pain will help me out in the long run. It does not help. I don't like dental pain. Some people don't like the pain of needles. Yeah, I don't blame you with that, but I just, uh, I just uh, kind of ignore them. Don't like them. But, uh, but some people, you know, it's a, it's a tougher thing. There are some pains that we gravitate to, and there are other kind of pains that we just say, hmm. No way, no way. So she goes to many different doctors, many different types of doctors, and suffers many things. So I'm sure that in the suffering, she hit some pain that was, she was okay with, and some pain that she says, oh, I don't want to go through that again, just like you do. But she suffered many things from many physicians. Would that discourage you? I think it would. She had spent all that she had. So she had a, at least a decent amount and spent it all. Had nothing more to spend. If somebody else came up with another idea, she had nothing more to spend on it. She spent it all. It was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, it's one thing to keep even. It's a whole other thing to grow and, and grow worse. Verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, I just love that verse. I I could read that every single day of my life and be happy. (laughs) When she heard about 
Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. I just like the way they, they do this. When she heard about Jesus, it goes right into the action that she did. Too often, folks, we hear about Jesus, we hear about the gifts, we hear about the things that he's, he's done, and it does not go right into action. It goes into, well, let's think about that. Well, you know, I'll consider that. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now, how much was Jesus going to cost? Nothing. So she spent all that she had. She had nothing more to spend, but this one wasn't going to cost her anything. So her ability to go out there and keep putting her faith in action outlasted her money. Go on to the next one. For she said, if only I touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If only I touch his clothes. This is what she said. She heard about Jesus and that produced her saying, if I just touch his clothes. Some parts read, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. Here it says, I shall be made well. If I just touch his clothes. She came up with, if she heard about Jesus, but she came up with an action. Go on. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Immediately. Immediately. The fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed. But it was done immediately. How many of y'all like immediate actions? Faith would be so much easier if when I showed up, it happened immediately. So much easier. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Go ahead on. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, we've gone over this before, but Jesus is apparently completely unaware that anything is going on. So who activated this? She did. But how many Christians come to a meeting like this and they expect the person that has the gift to activate it? But who activates this? You do. You do. If you want to have her results, you've got to do what she did. She activated it. There are some times when Jesus stepped up and he did something. But not in this one. Not in this one. In this one, she did it all. All he did was walk by. That's it. He did nothing. The anointing is on him. She heard about him. She had heard the stories that people were just touching the, the, the garment. And she said, hmm... If they were in the meeting and they touched his garment, I know it. If I just get close to him, I can touch his garment. No one will know anything happened. But Jesus knew the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now we go on from here and the disciples, of course, they're, <laughs> what do you mean? They're, they're probably just stood back and, and were quiet for a little bit. But the wording, said, go on to the next one. The wording is of such that Jesus didn't just ask it one time. He kept asking, who touched my clothes? Come on, who touched my clothes? Somebody touched me. Who touched my clothes? That's what the Greek says. That he kept saying, who touched my clothes? And so finally the disciples say, we better, we better deal with this. So uh, he said, Master, you, you, you see all these people and they're all pressing up against you. And you say, who touched me? I think it's more how many people were touching you. Go on to 32. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. The woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to him, to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. The other places, Matthew, where it's, it's covered, it says, no, he says, somebody touched me and healing power went out. He, he could tell. He was in touch with that. Healing power went out. The woman was afraid. She came and told them all. The whole truth, verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith has made you well. Now, Jesus does not point to the fact that it is now God's will for her to be healed. Woman, you just happened to come on the right day. Today is the day that God wants you to have it. He doesn't say that. 
If that had any bearing in this, would not Jesus, shouldn't he have said it? But yet that's what a lot of Christians come away with. Your faith has made you well. Now, did she just get faith now? She's had faith all along. She had faith in one doctor. She had faith in another doctor. She had faith in another doctor. She had faith in another doctor. She heard about Jesus. She had faith in him. And that faith in him produced her saying, what'd she say? If I just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be healed. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Your faith is involved. Your faith is almost more important than anything else. Now, God can do some things and, and go past all that. But here's a way that Brother, Brother Higgins used to put it this way. He wrote a little book. Have you ever read this book of his? How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. He took that off from this, this part right here. He says, you don't need anybody else. You can just write your own ticket. That's what she did. She wrote her own ticket. This is how I'm going to be healed. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. And when I do, I will be healed. So she stepped out and she did that. Put this in your outline for you. When our faith engages expectation, our mouth engages in speaking. When our faith engages expectation, our mouth engages speaking. Whenever your faith engages some kind of expectation, your mouth starts going. That's what it does. It's geared that way. Whenever your faith grabs hold of an expectation, that's what happens. Hey, but if your spouse says to you, sometimes, let's just pick a day this week, one of these days this week, Saturday this week coming up, your uh, spouse says to you, Honey, let's go to such and such a restaurant, your favorite restaurant. What happens? Your mouth starts speaking. What kind of things do you say? Oh, I love that restaurant. Oh, and as Saturday begins to approach, you begin to say, Oh, I can't wait to get to that restaurant. I just love the, and you name the dish that you like there. And if I don't get that, I'm going to get this dish. And you might name that dish that you might want to get there. You know, if you're going to go to a steakhouse, if I'm going to go to a steakhouse, I always anticipate one thing. I'm going for the chicken. That's right. Salad. Chicken on top. No, we're going for it. Not, not just steak. I'm going for the ribeye. I want the ribeye. I don't really need to look around on the menu a whole lot. That's what I want to get. I love ribeye. Every other steak to me. Now, not to you. You may, have, you may like porterhouse. You might like something else. But you see, I'll begin to talk about those kind of things. Because my faith has engaged expectation. And once my faith engages on an expectation, my mouth begins to talk about it. When you were little, and mom and dad came up to you and said, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? You would say, you would go and you would do some research, you would look around, and you'd figure out, you know, research for us when we were growing up was the Sears and Robux catalog. <laughs> now it's the internet. But they used to send a catalog, them and J.C. Penney. And you go through, and we just looked at the toy section. We could not care, we care less about the, the clothing section. We didn't, we didn't care about the, I don't even know why they put that in there. Skip past the clothing section, get to the toy section, you go through all the toys. And you look at all the different things that were, were on there. And you would begin to, I, I want that one. And if mom and dad said, okay, now my faith got hold of an expectation, what does my mouth do? You know what I'm getting for Christmas? I'm getting, and I name it. Tell all my friends. By the time Christmas gets wrong, all my friends know what I'm getting for Christmas and I know what they're getting for Christmas. When we begin to talk about, did you get that? What else did you get? But did you get that? And you know, you, the whole time you kind of anticipate, all right, well, this is what I'm asking for. This is, it ought to be in a box about this big. And so when you get down there and you see your, your stuff, you look around, where's that box? It should be about this big and... If you don't see it, you get a little nervous. Maybe mom and dad are hiding it somewhere. But that's what you're looking for. If you see that box and it's about that size, you want to get to that box. I don't care about the other stuff. You know, you open up one thing, what is it? Clothes. 
Thank you. Push it aside, right? And we, we open the next one, and there's more clothes. Thank you. I see mom and dad are strategic about this because they know if they give you the thing that you asked for first, you are going to bypass all the other stuff. Because that's the thing that you wanted. You're going to put it together. You're going to play with it. So generally, that was the last thing that we would open. But when your faith engages on an expectation, your mouth begins to talk about it. Whatever the thing is. This doesn't just work for good. It works for bad. If your faith engages on the expectation that the flu is going around and I'm probably going to get sick, what comes out of your mouth? Well, you know that flu's going around. I always get that flu when it comes around. You begin to say things like that, don't you? Why? Because my faith has engaged an expectation. It does not have to be a good expectation. It does not have to be a word expectation. I put this in your outline for you. Faith can engage the word or the world. Faith can engage good. It can engage bad. Your faith is able to engage in all kinds of things. You can expect bad things to happen. This woman, after 12 years, was still able to expect that something good would happen. And she engaged her faith that way. But your expectation has some enemies. First off is failure. How many of you have ever gone up and been prayed for before, for a thing, and nothing changed? Failure. Failure can mess with your expectation. Well, I expected something to happen before and nothing happened. I don't know. I'll give it a shot again. But see, failure will mess with you. This woman had 12 years of failure. And she still engaged her faith on to something good. False doctrine. You've learned the wrong things about faith. You learned the wrong, wrong things about God. False doctrine will mess with your expectation got to make sure you get rid of some of that false doctrine that's in there. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Frustration. We already talked to you about frustration. When reality is worse than expectation. This is where I'm living. This is what I want to be doing. we got a gap. Frustration. That is an enemy to expectation. Because I keep expecting. I'm even anticipating. I've had anticipation mixed in. But it's not getting here. And I get frustrated and my expectation can begin to kind of wane away. There's the fourth one. Friends. Friends can be an enemy to expectation. Why? Because your friends know what you have expected before. And as soon as you're out of your mouth, you begin to speak what your faith has engaged. What happens? Well, don't get your hopes up. You know you've been to those meetings before. You know, you've asked God for that before. There are enemies to expectation. Now, once your expectation is off the word, it takes effort and intention to put it back. It does not come back automatically. It does not come back just because you're in church every Sunday. It takes effort. Because you've got to get yourself off of that. The Brother Hagin just talked about, about this is before my time. I think I may have seen one or two roads like this, but I didn't see many. My grandfather's days, Brother Higgins' days, other people may be able to remember this. We had roads and they had ruts because they weren't paved. They were dirt roads. And the cars would go up and down. And what would happen is the place where the tires would be would wear away the road there. And so you get these big ruts, hump in the middle, another rut, and this is where the wheels were to go. And... If your car tried to get out of those ruts, the rut would just kind of bring you back in and follow the rut in the road. And sometimes our expectation has gotten off and we've created a rut in the road. And it takes some effort to get out of that rut. It takes some doing on your part. And it's a continual doing. It's not like, well, I just need to steer out of this. No, you steer out of it. And when it tries to pull you back in, you stay out of it. No, no, no. I'm not going to begin to speak those other things. I'm not going to have my mouth engage those old expectations I had. 
I'm going to have my mouth engage these new expectations that I have because these ones come from the Word. Hang on to them. We've told you this principle before, but too often Christians waste time denying what is real instead of establishing the goal. You are not necessarily, with your mouth, to deny the things that are real. You are to declare as true the things that are future, the things that you expect. But we've, we've changed confession. Instead of speaking those things that are not, we speak those things that are as though they are not. But God says, speak those things that are not as though they are. And so we can begin to go around and we can begin to talk about that. I have victory over this. And whatever it is that you, that you got. If you've got a, a stomach digestive disorder, I have victory over the, I, my stomach can digest whatever it is that it needs to digest. Back pain, headaches, pain in other extremities. I have victory over that pain. Don't take possession of it. Too many times Christians have taken possession of the pain. Now, we've spoken about this enough times. I'm sure that all you have gotten out of that, right? Oh, my aching back. No, don't, don't be doing that. Well, I have this pain in my... Do you now? Is that what you have? Well, these headaches keep... See, I'm talking about the expectation. These headaches, this pain in the back, this pain in my leg, this pain in my arm, this pain wherever it is, has continued, and I guess it's going to continue until God does something about it. And that's how we... we don't ever take possession of the pain. Nothing says you have to. Nothing says that you have to keep going with that. That pain is... It may be in your body, but it is outside of you. That is not my pain. I am not taking ownership of that thing. And that is not going to inhabit this body. And if it continues to go on for tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, you use this woman's example. Twelve years... And she still was able to embrace the expectation that it was going to go. That's pretty good. Well, that's our first thing. We got to have expect. We got to expect. We got to expect. That's huge. You got to expect, but expect with anticipation. Anticipate good things happening. Here's the next one. Believe. Something that is shared or taught will open your eyes. Your belief is important. Some of your beliefs need to be changed. There are some things that I may have taught here in the church for the last year, two years, three years, four years, a principle we may brought up and brought up and brought up. And all of a sudden, someone like Sister Ann or uh, uh, Brother Jay, when he comes on out, they may say something and all of a sudden the light goes on for you. Ah, I see that. And you can mix faith with it. And you can believe. When you, if, if you are here in the meetings and a light suddenly turns on for you, act on it right away. Don't wait till later. Act on it right away. I put this in your outline for you. Be on the lookout for something to engage your faith and disconnect your doubts. Be on the lookout for it. Father God, I am coming to this meeting because I'm sure there are some doubts that are working on the inside of me, keeping me from believing certain things. And I just believe that there's going to be a principle, there's going to be something sh shared, it's going to be done in a way that I can get it, that I can understand it. And when that happens, act on it. But look for something to be taught. When the, when the teaching's going on, don't just sit there and say, well, I can't wait till they get done this teaching. I want to get hands laid on me and see if it does any good. Mm -mm. I like how, uh, uh, brother, I haven't talked to any about any of this yet. I've only been talking to, to Brother Kevin. He's, uh, he was telling me, he says, and I just love the way he phrased this. He says, uh, uh, Annie's been able to, throughout the meetings, throughout the, the, the meeting, has just set people up to be in a position to receive their healing. Oh, I said, I like that kind of language. <laughs> I like that kind of talk. Now, when it happens, say that something is shared in the, in the meeting. And all of a sudden, it disengages or exposes some doubts. It revs up some faith on the inside of you. When that happens, 
something ought to come up on the inside of you of, of what you should do. It should. You should expect it. That if you got revelation on something to believe or exposure on some doubts, something right along with it, God should speak something for you to do. Go through the Word of God and find out how many times that people had been become enlightened and something was not spoken for them to do. God will speak something for you to do. Find out what it is. Whatever it is, act on it. Don't sit there, well, I wonder if that's God. It might be God. It might not be God. I don't want to miss God. You know, if it's not God, I don't want to do it. If it is God, I do want to do it. Maybe if I think about it, maybe if I come back, I'll be doing it. If God is speaking to you and exposes doubts, and God is speaking to you and exposes faith, wouldn't God continue to be the same one speaking to you when he says, now do this. I'm walking the light. Just do whatever it is. Well, I don't see how that has any... doesn't matter if you see how it has any bearing. Do it. Now, somewhere along this, the course of this thing, the meeting might be going on. Sister Annie might be teaching on, on some principles in the Word. And all of a sudden, something unlocks in your, in your spirit. And you say, oh, I see that now. All I need is hands laid on me. And I know I will receive. And then this thought comes up. You've already been prayed for for that. If you go up, you'll be in unbelief. No, you were in unbelief before when you went up for prayer. Now the unbelief was exposed. The faith was empowered. Now go up for prayer. <laughs> Don't be messing with that. I, remember the statement from Smith Wigglesworth? If you pray seven times for any one thing... You prayed six times in unbelief? Well, who wants to stay on one of the six times praying in unbelief? Get to the seventh. What you need to do is get to that place where you're prayed for in faith. Then if something gets exposed, now it doesn't mean that you, that you just keep running on back. Well, it didn't happen before. I'll just go again. No, you're still going to be in unbelief. Something changed. Expect something to change in the meeting. Expect something to be opened. Expecting the unknown of God to come down. And to open your eyes to see something. Remember blind Bartimaeus? Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When he heard that it was Jesus... Does that not sound to you like he was already familiar with who Jesus was? He's not being enlightened. It's not when he heard about Jesus. That's not it. The woman with the issue of blood when she, got, when she heard about Jesus. Apparently hadn't heard about Jesus before. But when she heard about Jesus, then she engaged something. This guy, when he heard that it was Jesus, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more. See, people you know, friends, folks that are around you, they're going to try and get you to shut up when your faith starts speaking out. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he arose and came to Jesus. Now I want you to see two kind of actions that he did. The first action was when he heard that Jesus was near. And what did he do? He called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He kept saying the same thing. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He kept saying that until Jesus stopped. And he called for him. And they all came over, hey, he's calling for you. When he does that, he now engages another action, doesn't he? And it says, thrown aside his garment, which we, we all know is his blind person garment. It gave him authorization to be a beggar. And he threw aside his garment. He rose, came to Jesus. It means he was sitting. He hadn't gotten up. So I want you to picture what this guy did. This guy had an image on the inside of him of what would happen. He heard about Jesus. Well, I can't ever get to Jesus. But if Jesus ever comes by my way, what would I do? 
and began to think about this. And, and this is what came up to him. If Jesus comes by, I'm going to say this. Jesus, son of David, that means I know that you are the king. Jesus, son of David, I know that you are the king to come. Basically this, Jesus, I know you are Messiah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If I say that, it has to be short. I need to get his attention. Can't be given a whole paragraph out. Got to be short. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He pictured this. He decided this is the best thing. This is what came up in his spirit for him to say. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He may not even understood all the revelation that came from that. But it came up in his spirit, I'm sure. And he spoke it out. If I ever find Jesus walking by, this is what I'm going to say to get his attention. Then he probably had this. What will you do once you get Jesus' attention? What will I do? If I ever get Jesus' attention. I heard about Jesus. Jesus is impressed with faith. What can I do that would demonstrate my faith? I know. I'm going to throw aside my blind person's garment because I won't need it anymore. I'll rise and I'll go to him. Can you see how this is somewhat rehearsed, what he would do? He had this down, what he would would go on. What kind of action you do once you get enlightened is important. Once you get enlightened, there's going to be an action. Something is going to be going to come up on you to do. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbani, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. What made him well? His faith. His faith. All right, here's the next one. You need to get your expectation right. You need to get into a place where your belief is right. And you're ready for God to challenge your belief or enlighten you in somewhere in that belief. But you've got something in that area working. And God's going to speak to you. I just, just believe. Father God, I believe. Whatever it is, it's holding me back from getting healed from this thing. It's not because it's not your will to do it. Something is on the inside of me. And I thank you, Father. I'm going to draw off that anointing that's here for you to expose whatever it is that's on the inside of me. Whatever it is that causes me to still hang on to that thing. Here's the last one. Proclaim. If we truly expect something to happen, we cannot help but share it. Can't help it. Brother Ray, Ray, it looks like some folks are cold around here. I am not. I am actually on the, on the warm side. <laughs> but that's all right. Looks like we've got some, some cold folks around. Sometimes that rain can just do it to you. you know? If we truly expect something to happen, we cannot help but share it. The four friends who who brought the lame man, they heard about Jesus. They had a friend who was lame. And they said, we're going to get you to the meeting. We want to bring you to the meeting because we're sure if we bring you to this meeting, you will be healed. We want you to be healed. So the four friends come to the lame man and they said, we're not only want you to come, we are prepared to carry you to the meeting. Will you allow us to carry you to the meeting? And he did. And they carried him to the meeting. It was full. They probably said to him, look, we said we're getting you to this meeting. We're going to get you to this meeting. And they go up on the roof and they tear the hole off in the roof and they lower them down. Figure out what we do with the roof later. But these four friends were so convinced that Jesus would change their friend. They told them about the meeting. And they said, we are going to get you to this meeting. If you truly expect something to happen, you cannot help but share it. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter into the city, 
but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. So Jesus, the man who healed him, even said to him, Do not tell anyone about this. And he may have tried. How many of you, if Jesus told you, don't tell anyone about this healing, you would have at least given it a shot? He may have given it, he may have, I won't tell anybody, I won't tell anybody. And he goes on out there and, and people, there's no leprosy on you. Oh, I know, I know. Jesus, he healed me. He healed, oh, it was so, I went up to him, I said, you can make me clean. And he did, I'm healed, I'm totally healed. And then somebody probably hears him. What do you mean you're healed? Healed of what? I had leprosy. And I don't have leprosy anymore. He's excited. He tried to contain it. I'm sure he probably tried to contain it. He just couldn't. He had to go out and tell people. People came up and said, what's going on? How is it that you're not, I don't see leprosy on you anymore. I know. Isn't it great? How did that happen? I can't tell you. (laughs) What do you mean you can't tell me? I'd love to tell you. But he made me promise that I wouldn't tell. Who? Jesus. Can you imagine being this guy and trying to contain the information? He was very poor at it. Didn't do a very good job. He didn't do this maliciously to try and hurt Jesus. He's excited. If you truly believe that the anointing of God is down, that it rests upon different people in special ways, and that people can be healed, you'll do everything you can to get those people that you know out with you. Everything you can. Even people you don't know. You do everything you can. Here's some people that target. Your friends, go get them friends. Bring them on out. Your friends will probably say, oh, those folks are just a bunch of hooey. Tell them, do this to them. Tell them, come on out and prove it. Come on out and prove it. You come on out to the meeting, and you sit in there, and you prove to me that it's not right. Family. See, one of the things that will keep us from bringing out family and friends, well, if nothing happens, see, that's messing with you. You haven't gotten your expectation around on this thing yet. Because if you truly expected, if you truly anticipated, if you truly believed, you'd grab everybody you could. I don't know about you, but I'm already working on people. I want to see some people coming out. Well, I don't know anybody who's sick. Okay. Here's the other group. Strangers. Go into a restaurant. In fact, after church today, go into a restaurant. Father God, give me the sickest waiter, waitress I can have. Whoever is sick, whoever is afflicted, bring them over to my table. And when they come over and they look healthy, ask them, is there anything bothering you in your body? Do you have any pain? That's always a good one. People always like to talk about their pain. Do you have any pain in your body? I do. Will you do me a favor? Come out with me. There's some people to target. Friends, family, strangers. The more excited you are about what has happened or what you expect to happen, the less selective you are about who to share it with. That's true. The more excited you are, you will share it with all kinds of people. I'll give you some, some points. Imagine this year. You have to use your imagination on this one. Imagine this year in the, in the 2016-2017 football season that the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Just imagine. Just imagine. The Eagles win the Super Bowl. And you are a football fan. Do you care who you share that news with? No, do, wait a minute. I don't know you. Nobody, you find people you don't even know. You look at people in the stands of a football stadium and their team has won the Super Bowl. And they turn to somebody they don't even know and give them a hug. And rejoice because their team won the Super Bowl. The more excited you are about what has happened, the less discerning you are about who to share it with. You know what else helps? Sometimes just talking about a thing gets you excited. Just talking about it. As you begin to talk about it to other people, it can get you excited. It can get you going on the thing. You can get more and more excited just by talking about it. Just like you did with that Christmas present. Just like Lissy was doing, getting ready for going to Florida. The more she talked about it, the more excited she got. She'd sometimes just come on and say, 
I'm going to see Mickey. Or Minnie. I think she was more excited about Minnie than Mickey. But I want you to think about this. How will this week change you? How will this week change you? See, four nights during the week, it can be a tough thing. Some of you may not be able to make all four nights. Some of you may only make two, three, whatever it might be. But whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be tough. How will this week change you? How can it change you? Do you have an ache? Do you have a pain? Do you have a sickness? you expect the anointing of God to work on? If you anticipate that being changed, no matter what comes up, you'll make it out. How can it change others that are around you? If you really anticipate that this can change the people that are around you, you won't hesitate to share it with them. I want you to get the most out of this week that you can. I want the people that you know to get the most out of this week that you can. We bring folks like this in for the purpose of changing lives. You can get healed by learning the word and growing your faith. You can also get healed by the gift and power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon you. It's just uh, in this way. How many have ever put in a fence? There's two ways to dig a post hole. One is you grab that nice little bladed thing that's got two poles on it, and you throw it in there, and you squeeze it apart, and you pull the, the thing out, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. Or you can go rent a post hole digger, fill it with some gasoline, point it in the right direction, and turn it on. Drive that thing right on down. Ten seconds, you got yourself a hole. Which way is better? They both get it done. One will get it done faster. You tap in the gifts and power of God, and what you are believing for will get done faster. But you've got to mix faith with it. You've got to anticipate these things are going to happen. So when you come out on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, don't just plan to come alone. Find somebody that you can bring. Find somebody sick. Find somebody who needs a touch from God. How much more will it build up your faith if someone you brought, who you know their condition, comes on out and gets healed? Glory to God. Get you excited. These are the things that can go on. I hope you'll believe with me. These things will change, change things that are happening. We'll all have to make some sacrifices to come on out, but we had the opportunity to bring them out when I heard some of the things that had gone on inside this, uh, the anointing that's on Sister Annie. And Brother Hagen laid hands on her specifically for this. But since then, some other things have happened, and I think she'll tell you about them. And I'd rather you hear it from her firsthand than hear it from me. I, already, I heard it. I heard it from Kevin. She will hear it from her. She's the one who actually went through the experience uh, of this, and it was, it's quite a story. So uh, I hope that I'll t- when we pick her up, I will talk to her and we'll ask us, please tell, share that story. People would like to hear that one. But we want to see you overcome these things. God does not care how you get healed. He just wants you well. He's your father. He wants you well. He wants you whole. Would you all stand up with me? This morning, as we are on the topic of healing, Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only for our sin, but died on the cross so that we don't have to be sick anymore. He wants you well. He wants you whole. He wants other people in this world whole. One of the things he never did any of the times he ministered healing was he says, do you believe? Are you a believer? Healing is one thing that is a tool to reach the unsaved people. If you have friends and family who are not saved, Let them get healed first. Then we'll work on their salvation. They didn't have to get saved first to be healed. But once they got healed, they generally wanted to get saved. Bring some people on out. Well, I don't know if anybody wants to travel that far. We'll travel to Philadelphia for a hospital if that had a way to get them over their condition. Jesus was betrayed 
He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But Jesus separated what he was doing at the cross into two categories. What was done in his body, what was done by his blood. His body was beaten and bruised so that healing could come to us. His blood was shed so that forgiveness do as Jesus said to remember. Let's remember what Jesus did. The work that he did was for our benefit. It wasn't for his. He was already healed. He was already righteous. He did it for us. Because his desire is not only that you be sin free, but also that you be sickness and disease free. That's his desire. Because he bore our sicknesses, he bore our pain. that Jesus was betrayed took his disciples into the room before supper he broke the bread and he gave to each of them he said this represents my body which is broken for you do this thank you for your love which was so great that you sent your only son Jesus down the cross for our sins that on his body was put our sickness our disease our infirmities our pains and he bore them so that we don't have to I thank you for it Father we pray for these meetings that are coming up that if we here or the people that we bring are suffering any type of infirmity, any type of sickness, pain, whatever it might be, that there is healing for them and that they can be healed. Thank you for it, Father. Pray that that excitement wells up in us when we go out and we talk to others. We can't help but tell them, Jesus is the healer come and receive we thank you for it I thank you for giving gifts to men that you have put these gifts in our presence that we can draw off of them that your anointing can cut through and do what hasn't been done we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Glory to God we have some praise reports have two this morning? Oh, a couple more. Okay. Aras says, I praise God for answering my prayer. At the beginning of this year, I prayed for an increase in my in my income. Um, last month, I was offered full-time employment. I accepted the offer, and I love my job. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, Daryl says, I was blessed to learn that the car repairs I was expecting to have done were not needed. That's always awesome. <laughs> Amen. Ray says, I came to church today feeling overwhelmed, tired, and subdued. During the offering, the spirit of too much burden lifted because <laughs> I was given new strength and purpose to accomplish that which I need to do. Amen. How many of you have been sensing a, a greater presence of the Holy Ghost during worship times? Amen. Amen. 
Nick says, my cell phone stopped working this week, so instead of buying a new one, I called Verizon and they said they would replace it, but didn't have the, co uh, the correct re replacement in stock, so they gave me a better one at no charge to me. Um, he also says, tomorrow is my last... Um, like content exam? What's, okay. <laughs> content <laughs> test of my semester. I am just praising God for getting me to this point and praising him for the knowledge that he is still with me walking before me, paving my path. I thank God for the victory. Amen. That's it. All right. Stand up with me one more, one more time as we go. Brother Mike has the uh, class. This is the last class. Oh, yeah. Um, who is that with uh, the, the class here on Christian workers? Um, if you're here for the Good Foundations class, you got, you're able to stay today. Raise up your hand. Mike just wanted to know who was uh, able to stay. A couple of the regulars were not able to, to be here, I guess. Then we will postpone it for probably two weeks. I think that um, that works in there. I, don't, I can't think of anything that's coming up on there. So Mother's Day is next Sunday, and um, we don't have a cover edition like that for, for a few weeks yet. So it should be, should be working on that one. That will be, be happening Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 7.30 each night. Now, don't be, be concerned on the late night. I know Jay and Tammy when they're here, and we pretty much only bring them out in June because their meetings go later. Um, I don't expect the same out of these. But if the Holy Spirit was moving on a night and things were happening, I'm sure that you would stay, but stay as long as you can. If it goes on later and you can't stay, feel free to go. All right, I just, you know, if you made it out for an hour, hour and a half of the meeting and then had to go, that's fine. At least you made it out for an hour, hour and a half of the meeting. And you got in there for, for, for some of that. But, uh, you know, we'll, we're just going to see that. I don't expect them to go like the Jay and Tammy meetings were, were going, but these were the nights that we had available while they're there. They're over in uh, someplace in Jersey right now, and then they'll be um, uh, driving back over this way. And then we'll, um, I think at the airport, he has to be dropped off, and then we pick her up and bring her back up here th this way with us. So that'll be going on. So no midweek service on the normal topic. The midweek service is just going to be the, the uh, other things we have going on. Next week we have Mother's Day. Children's Church wants to have uh, moms again. I think they did this last year just for just a, a, a short time. And then you can go off and do whatever you, that you have. But if you know you're going to stand in line for a little while for a restaurant or wherever it is you're going, this will give you something to hold you over until then. So I think that is all that we have going on that I can think of. So, But really, invite everyone that you can.